Hello and welcome to Reactive's Yellow Room. I am Evie Kiori and this week we are focusing on the Israeli-Palestinian violent clashes, the EU's position in the peacemaking process and the political obstacles and differences among the bloc's members. We are also talking about how the fake EU jobs controversy and the misappropriations of EU funds brings Marie Le Pen back in the spotlight, her reaction to it and how could this case affect the upcoming French elections. Now, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict goes way back in time. However, the vagueness that covers the matter in general, but also if we speak about media coverage, continues. So, to shed some light on what has actually been happening in Gaza for the past few weeks, but also on the EU's reaction, I am joined today by Iraqtiv senior editor Georgi Gotev. Georgi, thank you for being with me today. And could you try and explain very briefly what is actually happening with this new wave of violence in Gaza? Actually, I'm not happy with the way most media uh, avoid explaining the conflict. And I don't like uh, their reporting when it amounts to a body count. So let me try to explain what is at stake briefly, as you say, because this is what we do at Euractiv. Uh, the new wave of uh, violence is the worst since uh, 2014. Uh, it's different from uh, previous violence on several accounts. Uh, politically, uh, Hamas, uh, a terrorist organization, now has the upper hand in Palestine. And Fatah, the historic force of the Palestinians, is down. And in Israel, the hawkish uh, Benjamin Netanyahu likes uh, warlike uh, scenarios because they keep him on power. Uh, now, what is new militarily? Hamas has new weapons. These are rockets developed by Iran, uh, capable of reaching targets more than 200 kilometers away. Uh, the previous inaccurate rockets uh, the Palestinians had uh, flew distances in the single digits. Also, uh, militarily, uh, it's new. Uh, Israel has put in place uh, the Iron Dome, it's an impressive uh, high-tech uh, anti-missile system that stops most of the Palestinian rockets, but not all. I should say Hamas rockets. And I'm actually glad that you're making that distinction between Hamas and Palestine. Yes, it's important. Exactly. And what is the situation in Gaza these days? What sparked this new cycle of violence? It actually looked like an insignificant incident. Mm -hmm. uh, following a court order, Eight Palestinian families were expelled from uh, Sheikh Jarrah. It's a tiny neighborhood of East Jerusalem. Uh, so Jews uh, could move into their houses. Mm -hmm. The context when this happened is also important because uh, since the beginning of the Muslim uh, Holy Mount of Ramadan, uh, Palestinians in East uh, Jerusalem uh, have faced... Uh, the Israeli police uh, who put up barriers to stop uh, evening gatherings uh, at the old city Damascus Gate. Uh, Palestinians saw the barriers as a restriction of their freedom to assemble. There were clashes, which actually should have signaled the bigger conflict which is unfolding now. You asked me about the situation today. On Tuesday, in total, 212 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza. Uh, including at least 61 children, and more than 1,400 have been wounded. 
whilst in Israel, 10 people have died, including one child with hundreds injured. Also, the security crisis is precipitating a humanitarian disaster, with the UN saying that nearly 40,000 Palestinians have been displaced and another 5,500 have lost their homes in the bombardment. So this is the picture. And it seems like the superpowers, such as the EU and the US, were a bit more reluctant to take a clear position on what is happening in Gaza these days. So why is that? Well, meetings are taking place at the UN, at the EU level, uh, and some leaders are making uh, statements. French and Egyptian presidents uh, Emmanuel Macron and uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi are pushing for a ceasefire deal and they aim to get the backing of Jordan. So things are happening behind the curtains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday's uh, emergency session of the UN Security Council, uh, which is the fourth since the conflict escalated, was called after the United States. Uh, a key Israel ally blocked the adoption of a joint statement calling for a halt to the violence for the third time in a week. Uh, the U.S. President Joe Biden, uh, uh, having resisted joining other world leaders um, and much of his own Democratic Party uh, in calling from uh, an immediate end to the hostilities, uh, told Netanyahu uh, on Monday that he backs a ceasefire but stops short of demanding a truce. And, and from an EU perspective, what is happening in the political arena and what is the EU's role in diffusing the tension? Well, the EU has every interest uh, to defuse the fresh outburst of violence uh, between Israel and the Palestinians uh, as millions of uh, Europeans uh, identify themselves uh, with one or the other side. We don't need a Middle East conflict uh, here in Europe. But um, as far as EU policy is concerned, it's complicated. Um, Some EU countries are much more pro-Israel than others, uh, including Austria, Germany, Uh, some countries from Eastern Europe. Uh, In the political spectrum, green and leftist forces in the EU tend to automatically side with Arab extremists. Uh, In France, the phenomenon is called uh, Islamo-Gauchisme. So I I don't expect the EU to be a major player in uh, defusing the present uh, conflict. Uh, Generally speaking, the EU is good at providing uh, humanitarian assistance. Once other big players have negotiated ceasefire or a truce. Although the EU was criticized to be slow to respond and take a clear position on the matter, on Tuesday the EU foreign ministers had a video conference where they called for a ceasefire between Israel and Palestinian Islamist group Hamas. In the same meeting, the EU decided to boost the humanitarian aid for Gaza and vowed to try to relaunch the peacemaking process along with the United States, Russia and the United Nations. The EU is not a real uh, big international player, but it's a very good player. Mm-hmm. And could we say that this conflict is causing diplomatic obstacles that involve other countries and the relations between them? And, and if so, to what extent? Certainly. I mean, the elephant in the house uh, is Iran. Uh, obviously, without Iran, Hamas would not have uh, uh, these rockets uh, Uh, which uh, are indeed a game changer in the conflict. Uh, The United States, obviously, they are the world power with the most important capacity to mediate and to influence. They have a new administration, 
and Joe Biden is making efforts to resuscitate the Iran nuclear deal, but the current events are not helping him. Uh, this is how what appeared in the beginning as a skirmish uh, risks to impact negatively on an issue of utmost importance for the world, the peace and stability. But I think that the conflict is not in the interest of Iran, and hopefully this gives some hope for a solution. And speaking about diplomatic obstacles, Hungary, which is Israel's closest ally in the bloc, declined to join the other 26 foreign ministers in calling for a truce on their video call on Tuesday. You're listening to your Active's Yellow Room, and if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can subscribe to them on your favorite podcasting app. And from Brussels talks, we are moving to Paris, where the ghost of the old case of misappropriation of EU funds is haunting again Marie Le Pen. To find out more on this topic, I spoke with Mathieu Pellet from Euractive France. Now, the fake EU jobs controversy involving the French far-right leader is again in the spotlight. So why and what new developments do we have on that front? But also before answering that question, Mathieu, maybe you can remind our listeners what is the story behind this controversy? What is new is that we may be approaching the end of this investigation, which was opened in 2015. For more than five years, five MEPs of the party, as well as their staff, have been under investigation for possible misappropriation of European funds through the fictitious employment of parliamentary assistance. Basically, that means that they have been accused of having benefited from European funding, even though their missions were mainly for the benefit of what, what's called the Front National at the time, before it became the Rassemblement National, Marine Le Pen's party. Um, the European Parliament estimated the damage to amount to 6.8 million euros. The reason we are talking about this again today is that because the Journal du Dimanche revealed extracts from the report of the Anti-Corruption Office, uh, who was taking care of the investigation, and the outcome is quite clear. Mm -hmm. And what is the outcome exactly? The outcome is, and I quote the report here, is that the Rassemblement National, so Marine Le Pen's party, has, through the intermediary of its executives and leaders, set an organized fraudulent system of misappropriation of European funds for its benefits through fictitious employment of parliamentary assistance. And that's not it, because it namely places Marine Le Pen as the main instigator and beneficiary of this system. And what's new also from, from this report, from this investigation, is that the investigators also believe, well, claim that they have enough evidence for 17 leaders, elected officials and people close to the far-right party, to be prosecuted for this. And that's the very first time we hear about maybe moving on to prosecution. Mm -hmm. And what was Le Pen's reaction to these publications? Through a lawyer, she, she decided to react to um, Le Journal du Dimanche and covering this new extract. She said that all the parliamentary assistants in the European Parliament cited in the investigations have worked, and I quote, at one time or another. And she has been denying setting up any fraudulent system, as she has always claimed. The case is not new. The investigation has been publicly known for, for years now. So she's got the chance to to address it already uh, publicly. And her response has been all along about calling the investigation an instrumentalization of justice by your, by your opponents. 
And I think one of her tweets sums her state of mind quite well. She just said, just after the publication by Le Journal Dimanche, nothing new under the sun. Is there a possibility that the fake jobs uh, controversy could cost Le Pen politically? And I'm asking this because of the upcoming elections uh, next year. Uh, right-hand man Jordan Bardella has since reminded everyone on the radio that this case has been brought up for five years. And as he said, each time within a month of the elections, saying that the more enlightened will see a link with the electoral agenda. So um, I'm just wondering, did this case prevent Marine Le Pen's party from winning 23 seats in the last regional elections or from reaching the second round in the 2017 presidential election against uh, Emmanuel Macron? So, you know, whether or not the 17 um, defendants are prosecuted, there is little chance of a trial taking place between now and the next presidential election in 2022. This case has been dragging on for so long that it should not cost Marine Le Pen much. Well, many thanks to Mathieu for shedding some light on this story. And our time is up for this week. I am Evie Chiori and this was Euractiv's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit Euractiv.com for the latest news and don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon.